How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, indeed it faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow finds a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts. Happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. Happy are those whose strength is in you, in whose hearts are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. Oh, my Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, happy is everyone who trusts in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, whether in the belly of the whale or in the den with the lion, whether here walking this earth with you or in the celestial heavens, we would rather be with you. And we need you to be with us here and now as I speak and as we listen. Through the power of your Holy Spirit at work upon us, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable, acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock, our redeemer, our love. Amen. So I imagine you've had the experience of noticing something for the very first time and then finding yourself seeing that thing over and over again. It keeps popping up, showing up. Let's say you're among the hordes of traffic coursing south on I-95 in July. And you say to yourself, huh, look at that. A license plate from Quebec. Je me souviens, it says. I remember. And you say to yourself, I don't remember ever seeing a license plate from Quebec before. 
But then you're somewhere around Fredericksburg and you're stopping and going and stopping and going and you see another license plate from Quebec and then another license plate from Quebec. And you say to yourself, has the whole province succeeded in getting out of the cold climb and going to the Outer Banks? They're everywhere. This same dynamic has been occurring to me on a highway lately, but not the asphalt-covered ones, but the information superhighway. I'm not spotting Les Québécois, but a proliferation of articles and tweets about a bot called ChatGPT. If you have not heard about ChatGPT yet, you will. By making connections and patterns amongst billions of words of data, ChatGPT enables users to type in a question or a request that produces translations and answers to questions, summaries, and even original content like essays, poems, or songs. After reading the first article about the software, I find myself reading more and more. The cookies have figured me out and they're giving me lots to look at. And these articles do three things generally. One, they marvel at what this technology can do. They also point out what the technology cannot yet do. And third, and this is where probably most of the interest comes, these articles express a the fear and the outrage of those who see this technology as a threat to all things sacred, like human jobs or requiring students to actually write their own essays. All the college professors in the house say amen. <laughs> I'm determined that this sermon will not be a grumpy dismissal of the latest technological innovation. I do not want to be quoted 40 years from now as one who said, Patrick Honeycutt said artificial intelligence has no room in society today when everybody else is using it. I don't want this to be a prophetic warning about the way our lives will be soon controlled by the very tools that we have fashioned to more control our lives. That ship has already sailed. But I do hope instead to use or allow all of this clamor about what this software does and does not do to help us hear more clearly what Psalm 84 says about who we are as those who dwell in the presence of God. Now, as an experiment, and I promise you not as a way to get out of writing this sermon, I played around with this artificial intelligence to see what it might say about the divine wisdom we encounter in this psalm. So I typed into ChatGPT, describe how Psalm 84 teaches us to live faithfully. And in mere seconds, this is what it gave me. Psalm 84, I feel like I should use a robot voice, but I will not do that. <laughs> Psalm 84 is a song of praise and devotion that teaches us about the importance of living a faithful life. 
the psalmist expresses a deep longing to be in the presence of God and describes the temple as a place where God's presence is especially strong. The psalmist also speaks of the blessings that come from living a faithful life, including protection, strength, and guidance. The psalmist reminds us, this is chat GBT, this is not me. The psalmist reminds us that even in difficult times, we can find refuge in God and that God's steadfast love will never fail us. Overall, Psalm 84 teaches us about the importance of seeking a close relationship with God, living a life of devotion and trust, and finding comfort and strength in God's presence. This is the word of the chat GPT. <laughs> Thanks be to the bot. Yeah, it's pretty good. It, it's a fine summary, and it was prepared far more efficiently than if I had tried to write that. That would have taken me a good two hours. It does a reasonably good job of summarizing the psalm's meaning. But whether its output is meaningful, well, that's up for some debate. My next experiment, perhaps fueled out of concern for my own job security <laughs> and what you then do decide to pay me, <laughs> was to ask the bot to do the work most often performed by your associate pastors. That is, to write a prayer inspired by the just-preached text. We'll see how Jacob does with this task a little later. <laughs> and so I typed, write a prayer based on Psalm 84. And voila, it wrote a prayer. I'm not going to read it all with you today. But I'll admit, it wasn't terrible. If I recited this prayer here in worship, I doubt that any of you would come to me and be moved to complain. I also doubt that you would come to me and tell you or tell me how much the prayer really moved you. But it was okay. The last thing I did was to ask the algorithm, algorithm to write a song based on the song. And here again, the software showed its limits. There were a few fairly forced rhyme schemes and some lyrical phrases that were cheesier than fondue. <laughs> like the birds that find refuge in the altars near, I'll sing my songs of praise with all my heart I'll cheer. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it's still impressive, though, that this technology could very quickly generate three verses, a chorus, a bridge, and an outro, which are the building blocks of a song. But this, we know, is not the same thing as making soulful music. In an article on CNN.com, Nick Cave, a musician who notably lost his 15-year-old son in a tragic death falling off of a cliff in 2015, said this about music that is made by artificial intelligence. Songs, he said, arise out of suffering. 
by which I mean they are predicated upon the complex internal human struggle of creation. Algorithms don't feel. Data doesn't suffer. ChatGPT says has no inner being. It has been nowhere. It has endured nothing. It has not had the audacity to reach beyond its limitations. Hence, it doesn't have the capacity for a shared transcendental experience, as it has no limitations from which to transcend. Cave argues that true songwriting is a blood and guts business that requires something of the writer. Through the witness of Psalm 84, we may say the same things about faith, about prayer, about how we sing as people of God. All of these are blood and guts affairs arising out of the suffering and struggle towards a shared transcendence that is the very presence of God. Such a journey requires something of us. It requires all of us who we are in our shared humanity. This is what Psalm 84 sings. This is the psalmist prayer. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, indeed it faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. This is a blood and guts exclamation. The soul that is sung about here is more than some disembodied essence floating in the, in the ether. It's a living, breathing reality. It's the nephesh. This is the word for soul in Hebrew, nephesh. And this is the same Hebrew word that we hear of in Genesis 1 to describe the living, breathing creatures that God speaks into existence. Nephesh, appropriately, if not accidentally, sounds a lot like flesh because that is what the word invokes. And that is what the psalmist claims. His heart, his flesh, singing for joy. In his song, we hear joy sounding through the fibers of cells and sinews. We see God as a sun whose rays make the skin tingle, whose brightness causes the eye to contract. We, hold, we behold God as a shield to be grasped by human hands to protect the very vulnerable underbellies from all the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. In this psalm, we encounter God's presence as a journey to a physical, earthly place in which the heights of heaven make their abode, just as the swallows and the sparrows make their nests at the altar, that holy place where the blood of animals is shed for thanksgiving and for sacrifice. Psalm 84 arises out of these places, out of these altars of suffering and sacrifice of those who live and breathe and have their being. 
even though the very first psalm begins with the word happy or blessed. And though the very last psalm ends with a litany of hallelujah, praise the Lord. In between are pages and pages of struggle, anguish, the flesh and blood feelings of uncertainty and forsakenness, of doubt and despair. Only in the midst of these pages of struggle could the psalmist sing of joy in ways that no algorithm will ever do, or pray as no bot will pray. So I believe that the danger today to our faith and to all that is truly sacred in our lives is not artificial intelligence. It's human forgetfulness. When we forget about the flesh and blood business of our faith, our songs remain at the level of building blocks and do not become soulful music. When we forget that God's presence is to be found in the midst of and arising out of our suffering and struggle and not merely despite them, we find ourselves taking the easy exits of diversion and distraction from the highways that are of our hearts leading to Zion. Finding that place, that dwelling place of God, does not happen by typing words into a prompt box or a search engine. It happens from our flesh-filled searching, our earthly straining, our enduring, the long stretches when we do not seem to be able to grasp with our hands, our hearts, or our minds, anything that seems the least bit connected to the divine. The Apostle Paul tells us that our fleshy human selves are treasures in clay jars, that we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Because they are always carrying, we are always carrying in this treasure of clay jars the body of Jesus in his death and in his life. So that the life of Jesus may be also made visible in our bodies. So that the life of Jesus may be made visible in all that makes us mortal and fleshy. Paul talks about the, the body being the temple of the Holy Spirit which we are to honor by glorifying, glorifying God with these temples, with these bodies. Because it was the Jesus of incarnation who was the word made flesh who said that when we break the bread and drink the cup, we do so in remembrance of him, of his body broken and his life blood poured out for us. When we do that in remembrance of him, we find that we remember ourselves and who we are. Songwriters whose music is the business of flesh and blood, of sacrifice and struggle. As we, in a few weeks, prepare to remember the life of a one-of-a-kind pastor named George Para, we acknowledge and will acknowledge that this human body of ours is not our forever home, for we know if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God 
eternal in the heavens, not made with human hands. We will proclaim how the perishable has put on imperishability, how the mortal will have put on immortality. And then be led to say, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Such a proclamation arises not out of code, out of bites, out of zeros and ones, but by those who have remembered who they are, those who have embraced the Christ one glory of their flesh in themselves. Because if we do not remember that Christ one glory of our flesh in ourselves, we are going to deny it to others. We are going to see not temples of the living God, but dust. Yet another shooting today. We have forgotten who we are. So now that you've heard this sermon, in the weeks ahead, I bet you are going to hear and see and encounter a lot of stories about chat GBT or its successors. Each time you do, I hope a part of you remembers being together in this house of God, where indeed it is better to be than a thousand somewhere else. And each time you encounter an article or a story about ChatGBT, I want you to remember the license plates that you will find on I-95 that say, Je me souviens. I remember. I remember. I remember who I am. I remember who I am as one whose nefesh, whose living and breathing soul, alive in the flesh and blood of my life, is a temple of the living God. And that the people passing by you on those highways and byways are too. We sing a song that arises out of struggle, that leads us to say, my soul and my, my soul longs, my soul faints for the living God. My heart and flesh sing for joy. How lovely is your dwelling place, O oh Lord. How lovely it is indeed. Amen.